Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Happy New Year's, Ben. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. Yeah, so this week is the last week of 2018. This is also the last episode of On the Air for Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Wow, we covered it all. All seven episodes, and it only took us months to do it <laughs> we didn't get it done in the summer of uh, on the air no but we did get it in the fall yeah it was yeah. the fall and you know this is a great way to end the year you know last week we had our best of show i hope everybody enjoyed that great job on that brian I oh well you all of us everybody did a great job yeah it wasn't i mean i me. love all the uh, ads everybody and i love uh, uh, scott ryan and what he does i mean it's quite a quite a show yeah it was quite a, it was you a top yourself this year i know i don't know what we're gonna do next year <laughs> I think we're going to have to do like a live show next oh, year. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, let's go on to On the Air Episode 7, Ben. On the Air Episode 7 was directed by Jack Fisk. It was written by David Lynch and Robert Angles. And this one, as we know, we did not air in the U.S. So, Ben, Jack Fisk, what do we know him from? Well, he's a childhood best friends with David Lynch. He's been a producer. He's been a director, as you know, from On the Air. He was a, produ- a production designer on The Reverend, uh, Night of Cups, Song to Song, There Will Be Blood, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, he's been involved. I mean, he's been a big backer. When it, back in uh, Eraserhead, he was a really big supporter of Lynch, uh, uh, putting that film together. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's where we're going from. That's pretty cool. And he's married to Sissy Spacek, who was in... She was involved with The Straight Story. Yep. I mean, she's well known for, you know... Right now, she's in Castle Rock, uh, uh, Stephen King, and of course, she did Carrie. So she's well known. But she has. Yeah, she's married to Jack. Wow, and, that's uh, awesome. She would they she would sometimes come and visit on, on the air set while he was directing since he's directed a few of these episodes. Oh, that's cool. So Ben, to kind of go into the fact that we have a hard time remembering who these people are, this episode deals with that in a very interesting way that reminded me a lot about you and me on a trip we had. <laughs> now, a, <laughs> no, a couple of years go. ago, oh, yeah. we went to Maryland. The Great uh, Southern. The Great Southern Twin Peaks Festival, our first festival, where we got to meet all these fabulous people. But on the ride there, Ben and myself had a hard time remembering names of pe- celebrities. Why do we do a podcast, huh? We can't remember anybody. So, Ben had a trick. He starts singing ABC. You go, A, B, C, D. Yeah, that's how I get people's names. And in this episode of <laughs> On the Air... Betty forgets her mother's name. Oh, how could she forget her mom's name? And she name? says, if you forget your mom's name, just sing a song. And they thought of us. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's what, did Ben get that from that? No, because, I don't think so. I just, but it was very funny. You need something to trigger. You know? Yes, yeah. It, yeah, it's a trigger. And uh, we'll get into it, but I thought that was really humorous uh, that we started the show off not remembering names. And Betty can't remember her own mother's name. And it's funny that you're talking about <laughs> names because there's also going to be a character in this that has no name. The woman with no name. Yes. Who Betty's like, are you my mother? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it, Ben. Let's get into this. Scene by scene of On the Air, episode seven. We start off with Lester talking to Bud. Buddy, the woman with no name is an absolute must for my show. She could bring us into the 20th century, if that's not too much to ask. The woman with no name. Lester, this is our tribute to Summer Show. Where does the beatnik fit in? I kind of get the impression that the hipster 
beatnik movement and down they kept saying downtown I, I would have to imagine like New York it's like this cool place and if you can get the cool kid to come on your show you get instant street cred yes. you become cool right by proxy and I think Lester realizes I'm a dinosaur nobody cares about pick a, pick a nickel pub or whatever play I did 90 years ago we got to get cool. We got to yes. get with the kids. And this is supposed to be a salute to the summer. So it, it was supposed to be, that was supposed to be the theme of this. And oh. Lester turns it into, right, let's be hip, let's be cool. Uh, do you see the irony in that you have ABC who got David Lynch, who was like, David Lynch was the cool kid. And since their, their ratings had gone downhill, they were like, you got to make Twin Peaks and you'll make us cool because we'll have this cool director doing television. I, I saw a parallel between what ABC was doing to try and get David Lynch. At the same time, I don't know if ABC could handle David Lynch because he goes out there and... Well, ABC, a network, could not handle David Lynch but by himself, but you, that's why you surround him with such talented other... Like Mark Frost. Mark Frost and, and writers, people, yeah. and these people can handle David Lynch. I think everybody has a great partner in life. Lynch has Frost, but Lynch has a lot of great partners that he help does. him. Sabrina now, I mean. Yeah, yeah, Sabrina, Angles, Robert Angles. I mean, these people, when he works with them, it's like magic. Steve Jobs and... What's Is there this? anybody else besides you? Waz? No, yeah, Waz. Without Waz. There was, Waz, he was an engineer. It's true. You're right. I mean, you have the, you have like the creative mind, and then you need the practical, structured. Yes. How am I going to get this done? How am I going to complete this? How am I going to make a show out yes. of, out of uh, Steve a Jobs dream sequence? Yeah, Steve Jobs is like, I want to create this. Yes. But he doesn't know have the know how. But you have Waz who does. He's an engineer. We yes. can make it happen. And then you have Lynch, the dreamer, the Steve Jobs, the dreamer. Yes. And you have the Mark Frost who's like, okay, we can make this happen. Right. So for network television. David Lynch can make it happen on his own. I know that. But I'm saying in, in the network television, yes. you have a veteran come in. Yeah, I can work the system for you. I can right. make David Lynch's vision work. Where we were in 1990, right? Yeah. Where we were, yeah. yeah. Not like now where it's showtime, free reign, do what you want. It's a lot different. Mm. The, the, um, yeah, I, I do see the parallels between the two, to go back to what you were yeah. saying. And they keep saying downtown. Like... And which reminded me of the song Downtown. Yes. And it reminded me of a Seinfeld episode. But well, my, my mind is always in the gutter. Nicole <laughs> makes it. You know, if you'd ever go downtown, I go downtown. And you should see what's going on downtown. Downtown. It's where the avant-garde leave off. I don't suppose you've ever heard of the voids. They're way gone. Well, she is their leader. And anyone who is with it will tell you it's going to be bigger than automatic writing. So we have to convince Mr. Zablotnik. We all have to be more open-minded. I am open-minded. I have been downtown with Lester. <sighs> One has to be open-minded to go into the realm of the avant-garde. You know what's really weird to do is Nicole, it seemed like she was touching uh, Bud, which was kind of odd. Like, he's the president of the network, and she's like, I went downtown, and she starts, like, kind of just touching the president, Bud, there. And it's like, it's why almost, are you touching him? I think it's to kind of show what she meant by that, I, I guess. I guess so. The, the, you can tell this episode was written by David Lynch. Yes. There are moments like oh, this yeah. that are very Lynchian. Yes. There's a, there's something later on, I'm sure, getting to about Blinky and, I think, yes. Fish. Yes. And, like, that is so Lynch. That yes. That is so Lynch. Oh, and God. I love that. That's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> we'll get there. All right. We'll get there. So basically, that's the first scene. We want to get a woman with no name. She's very avant-garde. 
She's going to be hip, cool. She's going to give us the ratings. So scene two, we get to see the Hurry Up Twins, but they're kind of like Hurry Up Twins beatnik style. <laughs> they're like, hurry up, hurry up. And every, like, everybody around them is all laid back in sunglasses, and they're all like cool, like cool cats. Yeah. And they're like, hurry up, hurry up. You're talking about the Hurry Up Twins. So uh, Bob Angles was actually the one responsible for creating the Hurry Up Twins. And since the show was a variety show set in the 1950s, he wanted it to be kind of a vaudeville feel. Courtney Stallings, you know, she had gone to the event on the on the air event, and this is where this came from. That uh, Bob Angles talked about creating this Hurry Up Twins, this wanted to have this vaudeville feeling, so the the twins would be able to perform gymnastic vaudeville kind of things. And actually, the actors actually could do that. They did do. They knew how to do acrobat. But they don't do any but of that. But they never, they it never got into the show. Like they, it, it was something that they had the concept. They got the actors that could pull something like that off. But it just became a gag of them walking through <laughs> the Hurry Up Twins. And they're like attached twins. I mean, how are yeah, they conjoined? Yeah, right. how but are you going to do gymnastics? When I don't you're, know. I, it would have been something to see. Like if they rip apart, that would have been funny. They, <laughs> they rip they go apart back together. Yeah, they go back. Yeah. Like they do some flips right. and come back together. So in that same scene. This is where we're going to get to the lynching part. You have Mickey brings Blinky coffee. Hi, Korea. Good morning, Blinky. How are you today, my good friend? Fine, Mickey. And how are you today, my good friend? Fine, Blinky. I bought your coffee. Thank you, Mickey. It's very fresh. Yes, it is. Drink. This is a long scene for the show. I love that. He's like, how you doing? How you doing? Do it. So, it, it feels so lynch where it's like there's a silent for a second and you're just looking at each other and then they're like, I want to talk to you about nothing, really. Yes. <laughs> when you see these characters on screen for the last six episodes, it's usually uh, something bad's going to happen or there's right. a setup. There's no setup here. It was just a pure coffee drinking moment. Yes. So this is the last episode of the season. And I would Forever. Say- Forever, forever. <laughs> but to me, this is like the model of how the second season could have been. Like Lynch needed to be more involved in the second season and to do stuff like this. And I'll even get, we can talk more about it as we get to the end of the episode. But I felt like you need more Lynch dialogue. You need something a little weirder and not anything, anything else you're going to see on television. And this yeah. is what I loved about Twin Peaks, the original series. I love about the, the newer series, The Return, season three, that you... You never knew what you were going to get when you sat down to watch an episode. True. And that's what this episode is. It's yes. like, you don't know what the heck this is going, what's going to happen. But that's what me is like, what's, it's going to make it stand out. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stand out if it's doing this, geez, like these other episodes that are just kind of Totally like, agree. Yeah. And this episode took a left turn. I watched it and went, what the hell did I just watch? It was so <laughs> left turn on this one. Right. And very lynching style. But... This episode felt very different. The way it was filmed felt different. I felt mm. like I was watching a completely different show. Yeah. The writing was different a little bit, but the the way it was filmed felt different. Right. It didn't it didn't feel like all the other episodes. And it probably it, you know it does help that Jack Fisk was doing this because he's close with David Lynch. He grew up together. They made film, they made short films together. Yeah. They have a very close relationship. So I'm sure Jack knew what Lynch wanted. I, I'm sure David had talks with him regularly. Whereas, you know, other directors, they might do their own thing and they probably won't have as much input mm-hmm. from the creators. But totally I bet agree. you here they had a lot of input. I agree. Yeah, probably notes in the yeah. script about how they I'm want sure it. I really feel like David was probably there. He was there. Yeah. I totally agree. I could see that. Scene three, it takes us, Ruth is talking to Betty. Um, It looks like in the dressing room. And Betty cannot remember her mother's name. What's the matter, Betty? I can't remember my mother's name. 
first name. I know it isn't Mom. <laughs> I'm sure you'll remember it soon. I've forgotten it now for two days, and I'm worried. Oh, Betty, I'm sure it's right on the tip of your tongue. No, it isn't. So she asked Ruth to call her mom so she could ask her name. So basically, Ruth would call and be like, is this blah, blah? And the woman on the other end would be like, no, this is so-and-so. And she'll be like, oh, sorry, wrong number. <laughs> and then Betty's like, no, no, that is the right number. And she's like, no, I just told her it was the wrong number. And and then it made Betty even more confused. And But then she would only get her last name, so it would be, you know. Yeah, she got her, she didn't, she got her. She didn't get her maiden name. Right. But she wants her first name. Yes. Right? So it's like not helpful. It's no. like Mrs. Hudson. Yeah. Or... yeah. Something Hudson. And it became Betty's like, wait, do you think everybody has the same name? Like her sister and like her aunt. And, and then all of a sudden she became like. It's a mess. Like, does my mom not have a first name? It was like, <laughs> this is very Lucy. This remind this. Subplot reminded me of Lucy's season three cell phones. Yes. Didn't it? Yeah, sure. It was way bizarre. Like, beyond. <laughs> like, beyond Betty stupid, this is, like, beyond but, stupid. But where some episodes were kind of, like, there were, there were things going on and they weren't really together, this one all kind of comes together when we're talking yes. about the no-name woman there. Yeah, yeah. It kind of fits in. So it's like oh, all yeah, these yeah, subplots yeah. kind of join together. And that's what, I, that's what makes good TV, I think, when you can have all these things going on and bring it yeah. all together to, to understand where we're going with it. Yeah, it worked. Uh, the setup worked. The path worked, I agree. But it just felt like it was such a weird premise. You have to remember your mom's name. Right. Very Lucy. Yes. Remind me a lot. There's a lot of elements that remind me of season three. We'll go on, but yeah, I'll, there's a couple more. Well, when you have Lynch writing, I mean, I think that yeah. when, when he's really that involved, it's coming from him. Yeah, exactly. So scene four, it goes back to Mickey and Blinky, where Blinky just starts telling these fish jokes. Mm. I had fish this morning. You know how much that fish cost me? No. A fin. And you know, it weighed itself. It had its own scales. A brave little fish. Boy, it had guts. Had a friend with it, too. A guy named Gil. Now, this reminded me of Twin Peaks' The Return Season 3 with Gordon Cole telling the turnip joke in Episode 12. She's here visiting a friend of her mother whose daughter has gone missing. The mother owns a turnip farm. I told her to tell the mother that her daughter will turn up eventually. She didn't get it either. That's what it reminded me sure. of. Because he just kept going with these fish jokes about the gills and blah, blah, blah. This is what Lynch does, whether he's yeah. talking about ants, he's watching ants get uh, food, or he's talking about a mouse or a dead rat. This is what he does. Yeah. Like, this is what he likes to do. And I, I get a kick out of it because it's just like, I don't know, it's Me just too. like average talk. I mean, things you wouldn't hear on TV because it seems like it's going nowhere, but it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. So scene five, basically we it's back to Ruth and Betty uh, calling her mom. We, we already talked about that, and it, it reminds me of Lucy. So scene six, this is we get the director um, is with the woman with no name on the set, and we actually get to see her. And she's all dressed in black, and she's very beatnik-ish. Yeah. So he's speaking his native tongue to her, and she understands him, and sort of. I feel like they're speaking two different languages, but the miscommunications... You're not. 
Talmud. You have a great interest in wool mud baths and techniques to make them in this country. Okay. What tell you? You're a beatnik, are you not? I'm talking if you're bites. You're bites. You're bites. Bites! <laughs> oh, no! It's almost like, I, don't, I almost feel like it's like jazz or it's some kind of like, I'm going to do one thing and I'm going to do one thing and, and we're going to have some kind of, I don't know, we're going yeah, to sing like together. To, you know I, what I mean? Like it's, you're both kind I of. I like your jazz like, technology. I guess so. Like I'm going to play something and you do something, but together we're in sync. And yeah. Like, cool, yeah. man. So he's infatuated with her because he likes her, her shoes. Now, uh, when she performs, she's going to have a plethora of shoes, but the way his accent is. He says, your boots, but your shoes, it sounds like bites, and then she bites him on the neck. Your bites. Your bites. Bites. Oh, no. Oh, 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 oh. You have such butterfly jazz. Man, and he's like, oh, he's like almost like he likes it. But remember, she's so she's beatnik. Yeah, so beatnik, like, but he's a shoemaker. But when he says shoemaker, it sounds like beatnik. Right. So it's or so beaten, bite your neck, beat. Yeah, beatnik, so bite you your can neck. Play yeah. Both of those. Yeah, both yeah, of yeah. those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to say something about her. I think it's a good yeah. time to talk about this actress. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. So she's been in some Lynch stuff. I know. Oh, you do? Yes. So I'm going to go into a comment someone wrote on YouTube underneath this episode. Elena wrote, isn't the woman with no name the dancing woman with the red wig wearing the blue rose from Firewalk with me? She is not that woman. But Ben, tell us who she is. So Bellamy Logan has actually been involved with four of Lynch's works. Yes. She was in, well, she filmed Wild at Heart. And uh, that was the bar scene. And you can see these deleted scenes now in the Blu-ray of Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. But she was in the bar. And she in real life, she's best friends with Lord Dern. Oh. So Lord Dern uh, said to her, oh, you know, there could be a part for you in Wild at Heart if you're interested. And so that's how... I think it helped that she, in the movie, she, there's going to be best friends. And in real life, they were best friends. So that's something... That's cool. And then she's in Twin Peaks as Louie. She's uh, in the second season. She's uh, at the Great Northern. And she's the excited one saying, uh... Wentz is coming. Wentz is coming. The the restaurant critic. Yeah. So she's the excited one trying to make the Great Northern look great for. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Wentz or whoever Wentz is. Yep. And we talk about on the air. She's also in Inland Empire. So she's been in all these different. Uh, I can't remember what she did in Inland Empire. She's also in The Return. Is she? Yep. And her IMDb lists her in The Return. She was a female doctor in episode sixteen. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, uh. In the interview with Twin Peaks Archive, she mentions how she worked really hard on the dance uh, for the end of the episode mm -hmm. and how, how fabulous the cast was. And she thought it was a wonderful experience how David actually called her up and asked her if she wanted to be, do this small part. So this is something where David was involved with the casting for at least this uh, as well, which I thought was... Yeah. total sense now. It's so cool. Yeah, like the fact that she's a small part and she got to be in the original Twin Peaks and the new Twin Peaks is kind of cool. I didn't know that. I didn't realize she was in the the, the yeah. new one. And she also, you know, she talks about in this interview that she never, it didn't get to see the light of day in the U.S., but it was very popular in Japan. I can see that. I yeah. can see that. The director and her, they start embracing and Bud catches them embracing and he's like, hey, 
We need to rehearse. <laughs> it's not fraternizing. Uh, scene seven, Nicole and Lester start plotting with this evil scientist w- to destroy Betty yet again. Chimney sweeps and horses this was before my voice disintegrator. <laughs> Imagine what I could do with this on an international level. Take this over to the UN, and I could have World War III started up in a matter of hours. Is this voice disintegrator dependable, Mr. Mulcahy? You want dependable root for the Yankees. All you have to do is get this Betty Hudson's voice recorded. I need a recording of her voice. <laughs> Uh, with a yeah, voice this destroyer. Weird, yeah, this is a weird guy. Like, it was some kind of, like, he was all in black, and he just seemed like, I'm... Monocle laugh. Yeah. I was like, where is this guy coming from? Like, he's never been in any other episode. He was Wyndham Earl's brother. Okay. He reminded me of Wyndham Earl. All right. Didn't he? Uh, I don't know. He reminded me of Wyndham Earl. <laughs> he's very Wyndham Earl-esque. He, he is a man of many things. Yes. It's you like, uh, it, I felt like, to me, like... None of these people are bad enough, so we need a, a more evil character. But uh-huh. yeah, but it was kind of. Uh, and where did they find this guy? Did they like? Back then, you couldn't Google. Did they go on the want ads? We need evil villain to destroy. You know, right. like what is this? He has a voice destroyer, so his idea is well, he needs a well, sample of her voice. Can I can I stop you there? Sure. If I'm right, though, the original idea is that they're going to record, use a record yeah. to record her voice, and she's going, oh, but is it? it it's a voice destroyer. So they would both, because I yes. originally it was a record they were going to play, but I guess both times it's a voice destroyer. It is both times. Okay. One was live, one is pre-recorded, because they want to pre-record Betty's voice so she, she would lip sing, so that she didn't have to worry about it. They needed a sample of her voice. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I don't think that we. I don't. I don't know if lip syncing was really popular in 1957, but I thought it was a clever way to use a record as a form of lip syncing. And we know it, that now. I mean, back Common in the 90s practice. too. When was Millie? Millie Vanilli happened in the 80s. 89. It was almost 90s. Yeah, but yeah. Around but I'm just that thinking time. it was around around this time. Yeah. So I think it's kind of funny that you're gonna. I think that was how he's gonna try to destroy her, right? That if she. Yes, because um, her it would destroy her voice, and because people remember Betty from the first episode singing and had such a wonderful voice, but this would ruin it and show she couldn't sing and it would make her sound horrible. And then he could luster guy could save the show. So the next scene is actually that scene, Ben. It's the director Ruth, and they're trying to explain to Betty how pre-recording her song works. Betty, what Mr. Gottstick is speaking about is a simple technique to ensure that nothing goes wrong when you sing on the show. And when you see how the technique works, you will understand it perfectly and appreciate it fully. Why is this so difficult? The thing. All we need is a four-foot cord. The song will be pre-recorded. It will? You will sing the song before. I don't remember singing it before. Good Lord, I can't believe I'm hearing this. No, 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 Betty, not before now. Before the show. In the future from now, but before the show. You will go somewhere else and sing the song without an audience. But no one will hear me. I will be kid to sing. We will record the song. What will I do on the show? Are you worried you'll have to sing and walk at the same time? Betty, you will move your lips silently and pretend to sing. But no one will hear me. Come on, hard to predicate this thing. They will hear the pre-recorded song. 
But when I sing before the show in the future from now? Yes! I'll be in two places at once? Oh. And she doesn't get it. Like, she was so confused. This was a, right, a Lucy moment, too. With Another Lucy, phone. yeah. Because kind of like, she can't understand. And at one point, she's like, can I be in two places at the same one? time? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. They're all getting, the whole crew's getting aggravated. And my favorite part, Mr. Z shows up. Which is interesting because Mr. Z, since episode two, he's an asshole over the phone. He's like, well, he was a, and the pilot too. The yeah. pilot he was, and then we see we got to meet him in, in the flesh in two, and then we only the rest is only on the phone again. But he's a knucklehead like the director. Yes, he, his character changes when he's not on screen. Right, and here's the strangest too. I thought it was strange is that like nobody really responds to him really like. There's nobody goes up to him to greet him. And, like, you think that Bud would have gone up to him to greet him, but everybody just kind of looks and says, this is so odd and weird and, like, that. Because his, I guess, well, that's his, un- that's his uncle, the director. Right. He goes, oh, uncle. And he got all, was like, oh, I have to be professional. And they got over and they were all giddy like girls. Like, oh. Yeah, jumping up and. Like, they're yeah. excited about the, right. the shoe girl. And I, the people are looking at him, but nobody the, says, wow, this is the owner of the company and we should greet him or we should recognize him. Fear him? him because something. they fear him constantly. Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, whatever. This is where the show falls apart in continuity sometimes. I think I've said in pre- previous shows, it should have been two different characters because. Totally agree. Yeah, Mr. Z is not the same guy that calls up and yells at him. And maybe I misunderstand, but I'm pretty sure it's Mr. Z's phone that you yes. answers. Yes. So. Scene nine. So we go back to Lester, Nicole, and the scientists, and they're discussing Betty's demise in the dressing room. It's no use. She'll never understand in time the concept of pre-recorded. I'll be doomed. Doomed to another week of support playing. You'll simply have to get her voice recorded. Get her to say something, anything, into a microphone. Then I can calibrate it to the voice disintegrator, and you're in business. It's a good idea. <laughs> I have a good feeling about it. <laughs> and I write, you know, the villain is very Windermere-ish. Uh, scene 10. Bud tells Dwight he doesn't want chaos on the set. I'm basically saying we got to rein this in. Things are getting out of control. Dwight suggests about giving the woman with no name a try. And we see Mr. Z and the director all excited over her shoes. So there's a cart with all her shoes that are going to be part of her dance performance. And they are so giddy. A part of me feels like they want to know. Because the director asked her about how do you make these shoes? I would love to know because he basically I feel like he feels that he could sell these shoes and, and make money. I almost feel like they have some weird plan going on. I like, don't know. If we can get their shoe idea. I thought it was like a, fo- uh, a, foot, a foot fetish. fetish. <laughs> I thought it was like the shoe business thing. No, I don't know. It's really bizarre. It is very bizarre. You're right. It could be both. I don't know. I like your idea more than mine. Scene 11. Ruth is still trying to help Betty remember her mom's name. It's all right, Betty. You can sing it live. We were just trying to make things easier. I'm so upset about my mom. It'll come to you sooner or later. I'm going to concentrate. I'm not going to say another word until I remember my mom's name. Which basically null and voids the whole... Uh, mad scientist's plan of recording her voice. Right, because she won't talk to She's anybody. not going to talk until she knows her mom's name. Lester shows up with this recording device trying to get Betty to talk, but she stays silent. So 
after Ruth and Betty have this conversation, Lester shows up with this weird. He in one hand he has a recorder, and the other hand he has something else. And then the recorder is on like on the cart hidden, and he's like shoving the mic in her mouth, like trying to get her to talk. And she's like, "Mm mm." And she's like, nope, I'm not going to speak. After that, we see a quick scene of Shorty up on the gaffleting up yes. top, right? It's, like, weird. He's here he ducks. He's looking for the duck, I think. He's up yeah. there, like, you're quack. He's looking around, like, right. where's the duck? Um, then the next scene, Lester... Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, it happened. It doesn't happen yet. Okay. The next scene, Lester Guy is dressed up as a self-service candy machine oh man so it's a gigantic candy machine with one hand has a candy bar one hand has the microphone yes and you can't see his head it's, no, it's hidden in this it's in candy machine. machine it is five cents <laughs> and it's self-serving he's like oh you know like he says something like get yourself a candy bar I know it's goofy but it actually somehow i thought it played out better than, he, than we're describing it oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. you right. have to see it yeah you have to watch the episode. So the next scene... But he still didn't get her to talk. Nope, nope. So it's sort of like a short montage of him trying to get her to talk. Yes. The next scene, Guy, Nicole, and the scientist can't figure out why she's she's so quiet. Uh, the scientist suggests another machine. Why would she clam up? Maybe she was struck down. You've got to help me, Mulcahy. It's a very desperate situation. Well... There's always the X5 Samurai. So we're going to learn what that machine is. Uh, The next scene, while they're setting up this machine, they're all on set, and it's this big, big metal machine. It has a big knob, and it says, Betty and Lester. Now, for the life of me, why is Lester's name on it is beyond me. Yes. It should just be why Betty Betty. Op- why is there an option? Yeah, because you know it's going to fail. They need to test it, and they got to test it with... It just should say Betty. <laughs> I don't even know why his name is on it, right? Yeah. You... As you're setting up this new machine... Hello, Mr. Guy. Oh, no! <laughs> Oops. He, Shorty falls in front of everybody and just gets up and brushes himself off and walks away. I'm like, what? He needed to have a moment. You know, everybody yeah. needs their moment in this episode. I like that moment. It's actually pretty cool. So this machine is stupid because it has Lester's name on it. Now, basically, the scientist says, <laughs> I feel very good about this. Now, all you have to do is to point this at Betty Hudson. Mind you, it's it's not perfected yet. But I feel very good about this. It is suddenly spring. Thank you, Mr. Malkahy. Sir. <laughs> so they all walk away, all happy. But this machine is supposed to uh, wreck your voice. Yeah, live. But what happens is, as soon as they walk away, the knob changes all by itself, and the arrow goes from Betty's name to Lester's name. Maybe if we had had another season, we would have learned that there was a ghost in uh, on the air. I would like to think so. Because <laughs> who the hell... Why? It should have been Lester, Lester... I mean, Betty, Betty. It yeah. should not say Lester at all. Scene 16. Betty meets up with the woman with no name on the set and, and asks Ruth... Who are you? She's a woman with no name. I am 
She would still look the same. A rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Yeah. Maybe she changed her name. That's why I don't know it. Yeah. Now, this scene is interesting. Betty starts talking to the sax man. They have a lot of these sexual innuendos. They're kind of going... It almost felt like I was watching a tennis game because the sax man... He's almost hitting on Betty, but then he'll say the wrong thing, and then she gets offended. Right. Then you'll bring her back. I love sax, dig. Sometimes in my garden. <laughs> I dig, I dig. Oh, so you have two jobs then? Huh? What instrument do you play? Huh? I can't remember my mom's name. <gasps> like, wow. No, that's not it. But thanks for trying. There's so many names in the world. I could go to the moon with a chick like you. You are no one's fool, I can tell. I don't belong to anyone, but I do not appreciate being called a fool. Oh, that is way out, baby. A beats to the bar. I don't drink. Just the reefer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to see. <laughs> you are crazy, crazy, baby. I'm not. Daddy, crazy. Two minutes till the show. When he plays the saxophone, did it not remind you of Fred Madison and Lost Highway? It did a little bit, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it was Badamente. Yeah. Now, who did the saxophone in Lost Highway? Is it Badamente, too? Okay. Because it sounded just like it. And I'm like, is this, is this where they got you know, the, the, the idea, the kernel yeah. of an idea to have five a sax later, man. <laughs> five years later, went back to On the Air and said, wait a minute, we need to have a sax. We need to have a sax man. So maybe Lost Highway is actually like, this is a prequel. This is the beginning <laughs> of his, uh, Fred Madison's uh, career. So scene 17 is the show. It's the last scene of the episode. The Lester Guy show starts. Now, Lester Guy, as in every show, he does this weird dance around the pole, yep. the, the light pole. Yes. And he, he starts, he's trying to do coolness. He's trying to be cool because he's going to have a cool guest on. But the machine recognizes the music. <laughs> and it starts, like, wobbling the music. So Lester Guy doesn't know how to dance to it. So he freaks out and runs off. And I thought that was interesting. I thought this recognized voices, not music. Or music. people, or, or yeah. it would be the people, the pe- actual people talking. Or yeah, things. yeah, like uh, this This machine's very out of whack. So as we're getting going on the show, we cut to Shorty. Shorty opens the dressing room to Bert, which we haven't seen Bert in a while because he's looking for the duck, I think. And Bert is in the dressing room with a gas mask on and a room full of ducks, and he's reading a story to them. I thought that was kind of funny. Me it's too. Weird. It's like, oh, he, so that's where all the ducks are. Because we do see ducks from episode to episode. I think there's only one episode where we, we saw a bunch of ducks. But usually it's like one duck, you know, it's hanging out, chairs there. The yeah, yeah. The executives are supposed to be watching the show. Yeah. And things like that. But it's funny that this is where all the ducks have been. They've been Bert, with Bert. Bert loves the ducks. I love it. So Lester and Betty start doing their first musical number on the beach. Because this show is about summertime. Yes. So Lester's voice starts to get screwed up because of the voice machine. 
strolling near the seashore on a Sunday afternoon. When we stop for a soda and a chocolate macaroon, I said we should be going because the time is way too late. But I said. Yes, you're right. That's the best idea yet. So they cue the hipster, the woman with no name. I want to say one thing about this. So, yeah. so with Lester's voice changing, he holds his hands to his throat, and it's like I feel like he's not being strangled. It's just the voice is just being changed. So I feel like if if I'm talking right now and my voice has changed, my throat is not being like I strangled. Know, so I, I was know. that was a little bizarre to me. It was kind of like you could just talk regularly. Yeah, <laughs> or just stop, stop, close your mouth. Right, and like, you'll still happen. Yeah. yeah, like it was sort of like he was being strangled by Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Like, is it painful? Is the machine like? What yeah, is it doing? I didn't think the machine was doing that. I thought <laughs> it was just altering your voice. But yes. is it actually like it's going out there? And it's like I'm gonna squeeze your voice so you can't talk. Yeah, it was so bizarre. Uh, so that happens. So they have to cut. They cue the hipster, the woman with no name, and she does this beatnik dance with the sax man uh, around this big thing of shoes. There's shoes and boots everywhere. The director, who should be directing the show, he's on the sideline with these boots and he's waving them at her. Mm. Like, almost like, come hither, you know? So she sees him and then he throws the boots down and she tells him to come closer and they start dancing. Well, you know what's funny? Trying to watch family shows, we watch things like uh, The Voice, you know, a singing show. Yeah. Jennifer Hudson's on the show and... Especially in the, in the audition phase, she was very much about taking her shoe off and throwing it. And she only threw it when it was like a really, really good singer. So that was her way. I don't know. I forgot where, why she does that. I, in some I, countries, that's an insult. But for her, it was like, it was like I'm going to take off my shoe and I love it so much that I want, I want I'm, it's a, a form of respect. Okay. Like that. All right. So to me, I looked at, because I had just seen this voice, you know, I kind of looked at it as like, okay, it's a form of respect. It's kind of like I'm taking my shoes off and giving it to you as a form of, of respect. So bizarre. So the director's getting turned on. Mr. Z, he can't stay away. He joins in in the fun. So you have like a three-way. We're in a live show and you have the crew basically participating in this shoe dance yeah so the machine starts to overheat and we see lester guy run into frame while they're doing this live thing lester guy runs in and he's holding his neck like you say like he's in pain and he's making goat noises uh, yeah it must be strangling him because he could just literally shut his mouth and that's it mm. nothing would happen but he's like <laughs> To me, it, what this whole episode is about is kind of like it's it's getting your freak on. It's get it's a yes. celebration of being a freak, and like that is what Lester's doing. He's becoming a freak. Like he's this is what he he's wanted. becoming goat boy. He, 
But this is what he wanted, isn't it? He wanted to have something out there, somebody hip and stuff like that. And he actually became that because he's now, yeah, screaming strange sounds. And, yes. And it's almost like he's doing a dance because he's having trouble, like... With Controlling his body. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So the director drags Betty onto the set, and she's kind of freaking out. And they put a bunch of shoes in her arm, and she, she looks at the woman, and she screams. And she drops all her... She drops all the shoes, and, and she asks her... Mother? Are you my mother? And they tell Betty to sing. And she starts singing a song. And um, one of the lyrics is Mary. Sing, Betty. Sing. And she starts speaking to the audience, telling them... She goes close up on the camera, and yeah. so it's all her face. It seems like an echo to the pilot when she has her music box, and she says, <clears throat> you know, when she's supposed to be ironing and stuff, this is my music box, and, and I'm going to sing for you, because this is something I, I do during, when I iron or something yes, like that. Yes. So it's almost like an echo that now she's going to have a moment at the camera. Everyone should always remember their mother's name. And if you forget, just sing a song. I love you so much, Mother. Everyone should always call their mother. I think everyone in America should call their mother right now. That nobody's directing. You should never forget your mother's name. Use a song. Yeah, <laughs> use a song if you if you do. Which Ben and myself, when we forget people's uh, my names. My song is ABC. <laughs> D-E-F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D-E-F. No joke. We... we uh, ben and myself, we wanted to do a pot, another podcast where it would just be called, do you remember that guy's name? Yes. Like, we would start off talking about a show or movie, and then all of a sudden we'd forget a name, and then we'd go on for like a half an hour well, trying our, to figure out the name. In our road trip, I feel like we were, uh, we were cracking up for like 15 minutes. We were talking, crying. Cry- yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just kind of like, <laughs> do you remember that guy? guy? <laughs> <laughs> it was contagious because yeah. we saw Scott Ryan, and yeah. even he's like, do you remember that guy? And we're Is this dying. the first time we've actually met him in person? That was the first was. time we met and Scott Ryan. Like, and he joined in on it and stuff, and oh. our podcast. When we're, when we're 60, we'll do it. Because then we'll, be, we'll, be we'll right. truly not know anybody. <laughs> Who's that guy that directed that movie? What was that show in 1990? <laughs> it was a twin something. Yeah. It had a guy who drank tea. Aww. Yeah. Oh, God. It'd be great. She remembers it's Mary. She tells everyone to call their mom, yada, yada, yada. Everyone, for some reason, takes out their shoes and starts dancing with the woman with no name, including the staff, including people at home, including you Blinky, and Blinky the, even yeah. uh, uh, Bud Waller, uh, everybody. Takes yes. off their shoes and they put them it's in their a hands. Celebration of no shoes. <laughs> Being free. But freak. think about the idea of no shoes too. Is the idea that you're like you're free yes. and like the, the shackles, that, the shackles, and the idea that like you know society tells you you have to wear shoes. You can't come into this building without wearing shoes. Yes. And here you're you're taking those shoes off and you're gonna dance and you're gonna have a good time and yeah. And the whole cast dances together, and we get to see one last blinky moment. Where Blinky, if we got to see what he saw, he basically saw a repeat ver, uh, on a loop of the director and Mr. Z dancing together. 
and a doll floating in midair and a tiny dog yapping. And then it cut to Lester Guy and Nicole making like the goat noises at each other. <laughs> and that was basically the end of the episode. Yep. It literally ends that way. Yes. <laughs> I liked it overall. Yes. It was a very enjoyable episode. Very good. I I, yeah, I got a big kick out of it. I really did because it's really getting your freak on. It's yeah. like it's like so many I think so many of us like people that love Lynch that like Twin Peaks, we know it's an oddball show and stuff. And yeah. we love it this for embraced that. embraced it. Yeah. And that's why I, I think that the show should have continued in this way in the sense that like let's go extreme and let's go crazy and mm. let's let's not be predictable and like every week you turn into on the air and not know what you're going to get. Right? No Fs were given. When making this episode, <laughs> seriously, I kind of felt like they just did what they wanted. And maybe I mean, maybe they saw the writing on the wall. Maybe they knew that, maybe. like, hey, this we might not get renewed, and this let's might just never go crazy. Right. It yeah. might not air, and let's just do what the heck we want. <laughs> yeah. To end our on-the-air segment of Twin Peaks Unwrapped, I have a few comments from the YouTube community. Um, these were posted under this episode on YouTube. Rose Guy Crazy wrote, This is beautiful. It's quite apparent that Lynch had direct work with this in the first episode and why all the episodes in between had some spark of good ideas that could have been better fleshed out. And because of it, the series never legitimately took off and got canceled. This episode is exactly what I was hoping for when I heard of Lynch doing this show. It says what you're thinking, Ben. I have stuff on Twitter, too, that's responding to oh. our shows we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee Elliott from Twitter says, Yeah, I love this show. A lot of my friends didn't get it. Really wish it was available on DVD. Thought it might have been on an Easter egg on the new Twin Peaks third season DVD box set on the air. Because there was talk. When we talked well, this <laughs> when we talked to Mark Frost, there was talk it could have been part of the, the Blu-ray DVDs. And I still, it still sounds to me like it's been remastered. It is ready to go in some format someday. You're shaking yeah, your head. The I sad thing is, I think so. I did research, and it was like 2007 they had been talking about this or something. I mean, they've been talking about doing this for a long time. And I understand from a business perspective, it's kind of, it might be a hard sell. It might be... A big hard sell. I mean, you know, at this day and age, this could be something Lynch sells on his webpage. Yeah. But ABC, does ABC own the rights? That's the other big thing. It was an ABC show. I feel like they, I feel like they own the rights. I'm almost sure of it. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a Lynch Frost production. Okay, well then, if this is something they could sell on their webpage. Yeah. You know, they don't even have to, like, mass produce it. They could even sell digitally. Like, yeah. we don't even need a box. No. And we did talk to Sabrina about this as well, and she, she didn't deny that it might happen someday, but she did say... Lost Highway on Blu-ray was going to probably come out before that. So I, I'm happy. That's my favorite David Lynch film. I would be happy to get the Blu-ray of before, Lost Highway before On, on the, the Air. Air. But I am still I'm still believe that On the Air will happen someday. Someday. So Colin B. wrote on YouTube, The music at 18 minutes on this episode. like the music that Dougie dances to in the Mitchum Brothers with the Mitchum Brothers in Twin Peaks Season 3, Episode 13.
Hmm. It really is familiar. There's a lot of kernels because Bellamente did the music. A lot of kernels of ideas that I I do see in season three. And I mean, I don't know if it's the exact same music, but Lynch had no problems with taking old music and putting it in uh, season three. Like he, you know, No Stars is something he worked on years ago Mm -hmm. and he brought it in. And, you know, a lot of the Roadhouse bands were music that was already available and he brought it back in. So there's nothing wrong with sampling or going back to stuff they've done in the past. No. Back on Twitter, Twin Peaks Revolution says, I remember watching it back in the day, but can't remember much about it. I put the seven episodes on this YouTube playlist, but Sally haven't sat down and watched it again. I'll have to watch it and get back to you. And listen to our podcast. Right. I think that's what he's trying to say. That, that Yeah, he'll watch with us. So that's, oh, that's awesome. Nice. Jay wrote, anyone else cry at the same time everyone else did at the end? This had a profound impact on me that I can't explain. I don't remember anybody crying at the end. Maybe this person wrote in the wrong comment section. But I don't remember anybody crying. Maybe he's talking about us. Yeah, maybe. Hey, I don't... Do you have any more? I do. On Twitter, Ultra Damn No says, there's, one, there's only one word for this show, bonkers. I don't think I've seen it since it aired, but I recall it was like a cat was in the sound room jumping around on the board with the sound effects buttons on. Oh, on my it. Yeah, God. that happened a lot in the episodes. I've always kind of figured there was kind of a middle finger at the network after the way that Twin Peaks went down. I mean, a lot of people say that. This was being made, though, while season two was happening. Maybe maybe they weren't being treated right during season two, and it, and they did this. But I think they kind of, I don't know if it was a middle finger, but it was kind of poking fun and saying that this is how the network is run and how silly that is, really. Yeah, I totally agree. This comment comes from our YouTube community. Uh, Lisa wrote underneath our On the Air Episode 3 show, I'll listen to any show you do that's David Lynch related. So that's good to know. That's nice. That's very nice. That's really cool. Rachel on Twitter says, I absolutely adore this show. First episode was a bit, um, what is this? But I stuck with it and it is so funny and crazy. I can see why some people wouldn't get it, but I thought it was laugh out loud funny. I want to rewatch it now just so I can tell you what, who I liked. And I have one more. Okay. Hunter says uh, about the last episode, the final is the best and the ending feels like it's a weird bridge into Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. It does. I mean, when you think about it, as I mean, this is still, I mean, this Inland Empire, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. Thank you for everybody who wrote in during our On the Air. It's very sad. This is our last On the Air. So Until the Blu-ray comes out. We don't need to revisit this. <laughs> no, I think I do think that when the Blu-ray comes out, we will just uh, put it back on social media again and share that yeah. we, we did these shows. Yeah, we don't need to well, recap <laughs> a show. Yeah, we, you know, th- these shows aren't that deep. I will say I miss Twin Peaks. We do Twin Peaks every other week or so, but I'm looking forward to 2019 where we're we're we're, folk, we're back in really gung ho into Twin Peaks. We'll get back into the community rewatches. We'll get really down into. Oh yeah, we have a lot of good things coming up in 2019. Yes. So, Ben, I did ask you to list your favorite on-the-air episodes from least to best. My number seven was episode four, An Almost Innocent Man with Freddie Jones. That was my least favorite. Number six, episode three, Quiz Show. Five. Wait, you said that n- number six was the Quiz Show? No, episode three was Quiz Show. Your sixth show is episode three? Yeah. That would be my same. Oh. So it's interesting that this is where we're, we're, we're both thinking that the sixth spot is episode three of the quiz show. The quiz show. Number five was episode five, Mr. Peanuts. 
Number four, episode seven, Salute to Summer, which we just did. Number three, episode two, Meeting with Mr. Zablocknik. Number two, episode six, The Great Presido. And episode one is, number one is episode one, The Lester Guy Show. Awesome. So what is your list? My list at number seven, The Gypsy Magician. Worst episode of the series. Oh, that was The Great Presido. Yes, the worst episode. No, we disagreed on that one. I like that one. Really, I think my biggest problem with that, most of the episodes fine. My biggest issue with that is that the very end, where all of a sudden people are disappearing, they're shrinking, they're turning into lizards, and it's like, okay, we've just jumped the shark. Like, I feel like we need to be somewhat See, I like, Yeah, I like that, because it was a magician doing it. I know, but I think it went too far. Like, I could have done, like, a magic trick where he disappeared, but I don't need to see him, uh, Lester, in a tire... Uh, <clears throat> a tire factory. Yeah, or something. Yeah. I have to say about this episode, Grounded. There was no silly sound effects. There was no... That's a good point, right? There was no silly sound effects. There was no cartoon-ish things happened. It was weird, but weird in a realistic way. Yeah. Like, realistically, people could take their shoes off and put them on their hands. And it's funny, too, because Lynch loves sound. Like, he loves sound. Like, I mean, he uses sound in, in the whole distorting your voice and stuff like that, but it's not... He knows when to use it. Like, he, he, yeah. Yeah, nobody got bopped in the head and you're, you're, you're like, <laughs> birds tweeting, you know right, what I'm saying? Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah, it did not feel like a Looney Tunes episode. I mentioned already my number six was the quiz show where mm-hmm. there was stuff. I mean, again, there's good stuff, but I, again, we were dealing with the magic of potions and I don't, I think that's too far. Like, you've gone too far. Mm. Number five, I will do episode four, which was uh, Doodle the Duck Gets Fried, and you have Stan's voice problems. Freddie Jones's episode. Yes. Almost Innocent Man. The, the top four are, are tricky because they're, I think they're really all good, and it, it, you could get all mixed up, and it's tough because this is hard for me because number four, The Restaurant, which is the meeting of Mr. Z, mm-hmm. it's a good episode, and my, I probably the only thing I faulted for is that it, it's, it strays away from the studio stuff. You're, you're going to a restaurant, and but they still use the elements of you, you started off by rehearsing about a spy, and then they pull it off at the restaurant. So As a still, spy. Yeah. But it also demystifies Mr. Z. And yet again, it makes his character very opposite of what we learned in episode one. Yeah. It, I don't get that. If I can not think about that, I do. The character is interesting because he's so funny and he's laughing about like her saying about his hair and he seems to laugh at everything she says. And I think that was a fun moment. Yeah. And stuff. So, it's very adorable. Number three, Mr. Peanuts. I really love when the cast comes together and they all, they, yeah, they all join together in happiness in that moment with Bud at the end. It's like, that's entertainment. And to mm-hmm. me, that was like, oh, there's a moment of growth for Bud. And you have, I just love that the cast comes together. That, t- I mean, those are the moments for me. Mm-hmm. Number two, I am giving it to the woman with no name here. I'm, I'm giving it to, wow, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. It's tough because I, I, I really like Mr. Peanut stuff, but I, I, I'm giving it to two because I, I see the potential of the show. I see this potential of the weird, mm-hmm. and I love David Lynch's dialogue, and I love the cast coming together, and I just, I think it was a fun episode to do. It's a tough one because you, you could, I guess every episode you could look at the pluses and the minuses yes. and say, well, I really like this scene from this episode, but I like this, but I'm giving it to that. It's hard to rank seven episodes. So. Yes. But we are in agreement for the top one spot, the pilot, because the- that's what it did it right. You had Mark Frost and David Lynch writing yeah. it. You had David Lynch directing it. It told a story. It, you it had the concept of 
this new girl starting off a show and you have Lester trying to destroy it and and you, you just had all the elements there and it was great. Laugh out loud funny. Um it still holds up today. And it's and so quick. The great it was really quick yes. jokes and I yeah. Very clever, quick witted, uh enjoyable. I it had all the elements you would you'd want to see in the rest of the episodes, plus the weirdness that we just saw in seven. And I think someone said it right in the YouTube comments. Each episode had kernels, but they didn't become, you know, they didn't really flesh it out. They had kernels of great greatness in every episode. I don't know if we say this enough. I love the acting. I like the characters. I mean, these people did a wonderful job putting yes. the show together. And oh, I yeah. think there was such potential if they had only been given a second season. I totally agree. And I think ABC uh, screwed the pooch on this one. Ah. <laughs> that is on the air. Next week... All I can say is we're, we're going to have a woodsman on the show. A woodsman, I'm not huh? going to tell you who, but there's a woodsman on the show. It's been a great 2018. We got a lot in store for you for 2019. If you have a comment, a question, a theory, or just you want to say hi, send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Also, you can support us by going to Tee Public. The link is in our show notes. You can buy a shirt, a hoodie, a sticker, a cell phone case with our logo on it. It will help us keep the lights on for the next year. We appreciate that. Also, we're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. We're on iTunes. You give us that five-star review and leave us a nice little review. We're on Spotify as well. And we're everywhere. Yeah. Just, just, you know, just go to Google and type Twin Peaks Unwrapped, Unwrapped and you'll find us. You'll find us. Also, Facebook, uh, I appreciate all the new likes. We are, we are, like, last time I looked, we are so close. If not, we're over by now. Um, 1,800 likes. On That's the awesome. Old, yeah. Let's get that 2,000. Yes. Let's hit 2,000 people. So share this page. Share our Twin Peaks Facebook page with others. We'll hit 2,000 this year. Awesome. And how's Twitter going? Twitter is so cool. They're great people there. I, lo- I love the community. It's it's something special. Yeah, I, yeah. Every day I love going there and retweeting and just seeing what people are talking about and sharing photos. And it's, yeah, it's this is the year, Ben. 2019. We're going to meet Kyle McLaughlin at a wine tasting. I've already met him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It would be great to go to one of his wine tastings. Yes. I know you already met him, but you... but I didn't really, yeah. I didn't, you shook was, his hand. I shook his hand. I said hi. He kind of said hi back. And, it yeah. was, it was yeah. But It, I, it was one of those... Sto- I, well, I, I feel like even if I go to the wine tasting, isn't that stalking as well? I was no, because you'll have a conversation, because we're giving him money. Okay. So he's forced to have a conversation with us. I gave money to the uh, Festival of Disruption. <laughs> yeah, but they still didn't want us to talk to the big wigs. Uh, yeah. You gave money, but you still can't talk to David uh, Lynch. Uh, um, I said hi to him. I know. I know. <laughs> it was a good year. It was. It was a great year. But this year, we're going to do it. You know, it always happens on a bad weekend or it's the holidays. And, and it's work, or, work days and it's hard. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. I'm hearing there's a lot more events coming up, whether they be friends of ours. I think there's some great things happening in uh, 2019. Yes. So, uh, very and I just want to give a shout out to 25 Years Later site, our partners. They do great work. I would really recommend you going to 25yearslatersite.com and checking out their stuff. They do great stuff besides Twin Peaks on just TV and films in general. And like, I they've been a great partners, and it's been great working with JC on a regular basis. And uh, I look at their webpage, go, man, I really got to start watching more TV. Uh-huh. I'm so behind <laughs> the ball here. There's never enough time. I, there is not. But with that being said, we're out of here. We're next week. With a woodsman. A woodsman. And uh, have yourselves a good week.
Well, tell me about the, the show now a little bit. Talk about... The show is called, as you said, On the Air. Mm -hmm. uh, like the first three uh, uh, letters of the alphabet are ABC. That's the network it's on. Right. And it's on at 9.30 at night on Saturday. Now, that seems like an odd... Some people hissing ABC. Good! <laughs> uh, I may be joining, joining that, but... No, uh, no, that's odd. That's a, they do stick you in kind of a strange time period. Because, you know, if you're not in television, you think, oh, I'm on Saturday night at 9.30. This is the best time to be on. That's what you think. But most of the I people need, that would watch need, a show uh, like this Yes, I need the people people's help. I, I, um, this is, uh, if you could uh, watch on Saturday night at 9.30, it would be great. And, uh, now, tell us what the show is about. Is it a It's a show? comedy. It's comedy. a good-natured, wacko comedy coming from 1957 with a strange little breeze of the avant-garde yeah. and, um, and when you it, say wacko that's saying something well it's <laughs> I mean, it's uh it does make people laugh it's it's a comedy and it's a is it a spoof on a variety show or something it's a it's a live television show done by a fourth-rate uh network called zablotnik broadcasting corporation <laughs> well i'm sure it'll be interesting i mean all things go wrong yeah. uh on the show is it sort of like the old sid caesar show like something like that it's it's um it's got a uh like i say a wind from from those shows but right. it's it's taken that sort of theme and, and twisting it 